Section 18 of Stupor Mundi, The Life and Times of Frederick II by Lionel Alshorn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 9, The Conqueror. In July 1236, the Emperor's warlike preparations for the chastisement of the Lombards were completed. The response of Germany to his call to arms was disappointing in the extreme. Either she had declined greatly in martial enthusiasm since the days of Barbarossa, or the continued absence of Frederick had cooled the ardor of loyalty which had been given to his grandsire. In spite of their recent promises at the Diet of Mayence, none of the princes appeared in person to follow their Kaiser into Italy. Many of them, no doubt, had heard their fathers tell of how the Lombard League had overthrown the might of Germany on the field of Legnano, and were unwilling to invite a similar disaster. It was therefore with only a force of 1,700 knights in their attendance, numbering in all about 5,000 men, that Frederick crossed the Alps and joined his lieutenant Eccelino at Verona. The Lombards had assembled in force to give battle to the invading Germans, and were encamped not far distant from Verona at Monte Chiari. An unexpected and unusual spirit of caution, however, prevailed in their ranks when they heard that the emperor had decided to march out against them. A venerable and influential citizen of Milan cooled their ardor by the following oration. Hear me, noble citizens, the emperor is at hand in great power and with a large army, and he, as is known to the whole world, is our lord. If this lamentable struggle should take place, irreparable harm will arise from it. For if we are victorious, we shall obtain a reproachful and bloody victory over our Lord, but if we are conquered, he will destroy our name and that of our people and city forever, and we shall be a disgrace to every nation. Since, therefore, in every event it is dishonorable and dangerous to proceed further in a hostile manner, I consider it a wise plan to return to our city, where if he chooses to attack us, it will be lawful for us to repel force with force and whether he allows us to make peace with him or compels us to drive him from our territory by force, our city will be preserved and our good name will be unimpaired. These counsels of prudence were accepted by the men of Milan and the other citizens of the League, and the whole force dispersed and returned to their homes. Frederick's force was now strengthened by detachments from the Ghibelline cities of Parma, Reggio, and Modena, and he marched westwards, laying waste the lands of Mantua, and capturing rebel castles on the way. At Cremona, however, he received news which caused him quickly to retrace his steps. Azzo, the Marquis of Este and Lord of Vicenza, was a bitter enemy of Eccelino de Romano, and the head of the Guelphs in the Trevisan march. As soon as the emperor had withdrawn from the neighborhood of Verona, Azzo gathered the men of Este, Vicenza, and Padua together, and besieged Eccelino in Verona. Eccelino sent messengers to the emperor at Cremona, beseeching him to come to his assistance and save the city from destruction. Frederick was not slow to answer his call. In wrath he flew through the air, wrote the wandering chroniclers. In one day and night he covered the distance between Cremona and Verona sixty miles as the crow flies, urging his men over rough roads in a forced march which was unparalleled in his age. The Guelphs, hearing of his miraculous approach, fled incontinently to seek refuge in their cities. 
but Frederick maintained his extraordinary speed and actually reached Vicenza before the fugitives of that city under Azzo had returned. The emperor offered to spare the lives and property of the townsmen if they would surrender peaceably, but they refused. The walls were then taken by storm, and the wretched populace subjected to all the horrors that accompanied the taking of a city in medieval Italy. Azzo and his warriors arrived back to find their town in flames. From Vicenza the emperor was called back into Germany in November, but he left behind him able lieutenants, Eccelino de Romano, and a German captain named Gebhardt to continue the war. The success of his arms induced several rebels to forsake their cause and make their peace with him. Salinguera, the tyrant of Ferrara, brought that city over to the imperial allegiance. Azzo of Este turned his coat on condition that his lands should be free from taxation. Padua was persuaded to make peace by the capture of two hundred of her knights and came under the heavy yoke of Eccelino. The triumph of the imperial cause urged Gregory to more sincere efforts to bring the Lombards to submission. Hermann van Salza, who was doing his utmost to influence his Kaiser on the side of peace, sent a warning letter to the papal legate in Lombardy. "'You will see that if peace is to be made,' he wrote, "'an assembly of the Lombards must be instantly convoked. Caesar will not delay at Verona as he did last year, nor will the words of the Lombards detain him if the swords and lances of the Germans are free. He will let loose the wrath of his men the instant of his arrival, if peace be not made.' The treaty would be glorious in the sight of God and man. There are many tokens that the Lord Emperor will not quit Lombardy either for summer or winter until he brings this business to an honorable end. The legates, however earnest their intentions, failed to arrange the treaty. The Lombards were a stiff-necked generation and refused to agree to the Emperor's demands for an unconditional surrender which would deprive them of the freedom they had wrung from Barbarossa at the Peace of Constance. In September 1237, the imperial eagles again crossed the Alps, and Frederick left Germany never to return. His empress accompanied him into northern Italy, for he meant to stay there until he had crushed his enemies into the dust. From his kingdom he had summoned ten thousand of the Saracen soldiers, whom he had settled at Lucera, and this formidable force, together with men from Apulia and Tuscany, joined him at Verona. From there he advanced to Mantua and circled the city with his army. The citizens, more wise than the men of Vicenza, submitted to him after a siege of a few days. They swore homage to the emperor, renounced all connection with the Lombard League, and undertook to supply him with provisions while he prosecuted the siege of Brescia. In return, they were taken under the imperial protection and allowed to retain many of their ancient privileges. Frederick now marched into the territory of Brescia at the head of an army composed of 7,000 Saracens, 2,000 Germans, 500 knights under Eccelino's leadership, and several bodies of soldiery from the neighboring Ghibelline towns. Brescia called to her allies for succor, and a force of 6,000 armored knights with their complement of light-armed troops recruited from Milan, Piacenza, Alessandria, Vercelli, Novara, and Lodi crossed the Oio and arrived at the threatened town. From there they marched southwards and took up a position in the marshlands of Manerbio, 
on the bank of a muddy and impassable stream. The emperor was encamped some miles to the south at Pontevico, and vainly endeavoured to induce the Lombards to vacate their unassailable position by challenging them to fight on whatsoever ground they should choose. The two armies remained idle for a fortnight, until Frederick resolved to resort to stratagem to tempt the enemy from their position. He accordingly disseminated the report that he was about to retire to Cremona and take up his winter quarters there. A large portion of his force was disbanded to lend colour to the rumour, and with the remainder, a picked body of ten thousand men, he crossed the Oyo and took the southern road to Cremona. After advancing a few miles in this direction, however, he turned sharply to the northwest and encamped twenty-five miles further up the river at Soncino. The Lombards, meanwhile, as soon as Frederick left Pontevico, apparently for Cremona, had also marched northwards on their homeward way, and on the night of November 26th they encamped at Palazzalo, which was some eighteen miles to the north of Soncino, and on the opposite bank of the river. Little dreaming that the emperor was so near and that all the fords of the Oglio were closely watched, they resumed their homeward march toward Milan on the morning of the 27th, and fell into the emperor's trap. As soon as his scouts signaled to him that the enemy was crossing the river, Frederick executed one of his rapid marches, and burst upon them from the shelter of a wood near Corte Nuova, at which place their vanguard had entrenched a position for the night's encampment. The false security of the Lombard army was first dispelled by the sudden appearance of a knight mounted on a white horse, who shouted out, "'Be ready!' for the emperor is going to give you battle. Then the imperial trumpets sounded, and the light-armed Saracen bowmen poured their arrows into the Lombard ranks. A desperate struggle ensued until Frederick appeared at the head of the main body of his troops, when the Lombards retreated and formed up again under the walls of Corte Nuova, around the cherished Carroccio, the standard of Milan. Frederick pushed on over a field strewn with corpses and dotted with riderless horses, and launched his heavy troops against the clustered cavalry and infantry of the now-rallied foe. For many hours the conflict raged furiously, but the imperial troops fighting under the eye of their lord gradually hewed their way toward the Carroccio. The fall of darkness brought the combat to an end, and Frederick's troops lay down to rest, thinking to complete the defeat of the enemy at dawn. But in the dead of the night the Lombards stole furtively away, leaving ten thousand of their number either dead or prisoners in the emperor's hands. Peter Tiepoli, the Podesta of Milan, was among the captives. The archbishop of Milan disappeared altogether. The cross which surmounted the Carroccio was found amidst a crowd of wagons left by the fugitives. Who can describe the heaps of corpses or the number of captives, writes Peter de Vinia. God, a just judge, had at last regard to the rights of the emperor, and overthrew the pride of the Lombards. They lost their Carroccio and their Podesta. Each of our men slew as many as he would and took as many as he would. Caesar himself smote all foes with his own hands. The Germans dyed their swords in blood. The happy knights of the kingdom fought wonderfully by the side of their prince. The warriors of Pavia avenged themselves thoroughly on the Milanese. The loyal Cremonese satiated their axes with blood. The Saracens emptied their quivers. 
never in any war were so many corpses piled up, had not night come on suddenly, none of the enemy would have fled from Caesar's hands. The battle was a triumph for Frederick's generalship. The Milanese chronicler, forgetting that at Ponte Vico Frederick had challenged the Lombards to an open combat on ground of their own choosing, grumbles at the emperor's stratagem. You lay hid like a robber in a cave, he complains. You never gave us warning. You set upon us when we were unarmed. Think not that you could overcome one band. Though you did take our carocho, left stuck in the mud, you have no cause to boast. Ah, wait the events of future years. It was indeed a disastrous defeat for the rebels. Over half their army, and all their horses and oxen and wagons and tents, had fallen into the enemy's hands. Legnano was at last avenged. Frederick made a triumphal entry into Cremona. His great elephant was harnessed to the carocho, on which the captive Podesta was bound. Behind him marched a vast crowd of prisoners of all ranks. The Podesta was executed soon after, which, since he was a rebel, was no violation of the rules of war. Nevertheless, it was a great mistake, for he was the son of the Doge of Venice, and from henceforth that powerful state was numbered among Frederick's enemies. The Milanese, meanwhile, gave themselves over to blaspheming the god who had deserted them. The crucifix was suspended by its heels in the cathedral, and the churches and altars were polluted and defiled. They sent their deputies to sue for peace. They would pay a large indemnity, give hostages, and admit an imperial captain within their walls if the emperor would promise to work no harm to the city. But Frederick would have nothing but an unconditional surrender, and the deputies returned to Milan. The victorious emperor spent Christmas at Lodi. So far his operations against the Lombards had been marked by brilliant success, and the League was rapidly dissolving. With the exception of Bologna, Brescia, Piacenza, Milan, and Alessandria, every state in northern Italy came to lay their tribute at his feet. Foreign nobles and warriors came to fight under the standard of one who had shown himself to be a great captain in war. Gregory, for the moment, was overawed into silence, and the citizens of Rome rejoiced to receive the Carocho of Milan, which the emperor had sent them as a trophy of his victories. The year 1238 opened with the brightest prospects, and the birth of a son to the empress Isabella in February seemed a further sign of divine favor. The child was called Henry, although the elder son of that name was still alive in his Apulian prison. Frederick now began to gather a still more formidable armament for the final overthrow of the five cities which still held out against him. The tributary king of Hungary was asked to lead his soldiers to assist in the good work. Kings ought to help one another, wrote Frederick. We have chastised the Milanese with a rod of iron. Had we not appeared, the bad example of rebellion would have spread into far countries. We have proclaimed a diet which is to be held at Verona on the 1st of May to which we have summoned our son Conrad with a great body of men from Germany and all our princes to crush the rebellion for ever. To the end that the might of kings may come to the help of the imperial host, we earnestly beg you to send to us in Italy a number of knights armed with crossbows. You yourself should lead them as becomes your royal honor. Conrad crossed the Alps with a great number of prelates, princes, and knights. 
if the germans had answered tardily to the emperor's summons at the commencement of the war they were ready enough to join him now when his star was in the ascendant and there seemed every prospect of victory and rich plunder for his followers every portion of his vast dominions was represented in this army the prelates of arles and marseilles the count of provence the nobles of germany and sicily mingled with troops from rome tuscany and almost every part of northern italy nor was this host composed merely of his own subjects the sultan kamel sent troops to swell the ranks of frederick's saracen soldiery vatases the eastern emperor sent him a body of men knights from france and spain came to serve under his triumphant eagles henry of england dispatched a hundred knights and a store of gold to his brother-in-law and these englishmen under the captaincy of henry de turberville earned the emperor's special praise during the campaign milan terrified at these vast preparations made a still more humble plea for peace she would swear allegiance to frederick as her true and natural lord she would give all her gold and silver into his hands and burn all her banners at his feet she would furnish an army of ten thousand soldiers to follow him to another crusade into palestine she would do all these things and more if he would promise to forego his revenge and spare the city and its inhabitants but frederick would grant no terms she must surrender absolutely to his pleasure either his pride demanded such an unconditional submission or he intended to wreak a signal and final punishment on the rebellious city when she bowed her head to his power the milanese chose to regard the latter as the explanation of his refusal and resolved to die in defence of their city rather than submit to his tender mercies we fear your cruelty they declared for we know it by experience we had rather die under our shields by sword or spear than by treachery starvation and fire frederick would have been well advised to refrain from driving the rebels to desperation but he remembered all the sins of milan against his house and hardened his heart in the first week of july twelve thirty eight when all the varied companies that constituted his army had collected at cremona he held a council of war to consider at which of the five cities to strike first amongst all the captains who gathered to the debate the voice of eccelino de romano prevailed god's providence he said orders all men to obey the roman empire strike the snake on the head and the rebels will come to your footstool i advise you to begin with brescia first and thus you will have peace i will fight my best for you i who have placed the hope of my life under the shield of your protection accordingly in the beginning of august the emperor marched northwards to brescia and drew his army around the city walls End of section 18